Turn to Galatians 5, if you will. Galatians 5, we're going to continue our study in Galatians. And we're going to continue looking at just verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. I want us to understand what it means to biblically be free. And last week we began to look at that and what freedom was and was not. And we said that biblical freedom was a paradox of sorts, that though we were, we were set free from the law as a means of justification, as a means of righteousness, as a means of measuring up to God, but we, are, we, are, we become slaves to righteousness in Christ, slaves to Christ. We no longer need to justify ourselves. We no longer need to work our way into heaven. We no longer need to perform in order to please God. Jesus Christ has done that. His offering on, on our behalf for sin was satisfactory. The resurrection proves that. And yet we are set free. And this verse 1 is really a transition statement. We, we saw in chapter 4 where we looked at Hagar and the bondwoman and uh, as the bondwoman and Sarah as the free woman. God had promised to provide a son. And Hagar, I mean, and, and Abraham and Sarah, they get tired of waiting and they take matters in their own hands. They try to get to God on their own. They try to manufacture the promise, the blessing. And he says in verse 31 of chapter 4, So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. Immediately, Paul says, verse 1, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Again, biblical freedom, the freedom that we experience in Christ, is a freedom to serve God in ways that we never could before. We, to please God in ways that we never could before. And I want us to continue thinking through that. In Romans 8, uh, I'm thinking in verse 7, it says, Because the mind, he says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Listen, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Biblical freedom is the reality that we can live for God. That we can enjoy the, the privilege of being His adopted children. Of having the title of son, of daughter declared over us. Of having been declared righteous. Not earned righteousness, not, not warranted, but declared. And, and the reality of, of what Paul goes on to say is that it, it is difficult... In this second part, there is, a, there is a way that we can live, even as Christians. Even though we have been set free, unfortunately we can lose that freedom. Not lose our salvation, but live in a way where we lose the joy and the privilege of being set free, of having been set free. That, that we can live in bondage of sorts. That's why Paul says, therefore keep standing and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. And that's what I want to hit on today. I want to finish up where we were last week and, and hit on the, the reality today of a need to stand firm. And you see on your handout the main point. Biblical freedom is the reality that God has set us free through Christ. 
and in the Spirit so that we can love God and others as God commands. But we must stand firm in this freedom. Stand firm. The, the reality is inside of all of us, inside of all of us, is a, is a pharisaical heart. It is a, it is a heart that wants to follow rules. It wants to live according to rules. And if we're honest, it's a lot easier if I just say, you know what, here's ten things you can and cannot do. Okay, go do it. But that's not, that's not faith. And we have freedom. We have been set free. And so I, I want to I approach this question of standing firm, the, the idea of standing firm, I want to approach it in, in two different ways here, really by answering two different questions. But how do we stand firm? Because we're going to see in two weeks... Barry Chesney is going to preach next week, and I gave him verses 16 through 25, and as typical, I didn't get as far as I thought I would, but we're going to see in two weeks, we're going to look at verses 2 through 15, but specifically 2 through 6, and what the Galatians were facing a crossroads. And, and there was the temptation for them, though they had been set free in Christ, to begin looking to the law, specifically to circumcision, to perfect, to be that guarantor, if you will, of entrance into the body of Christ. And inside all of us, there is the same temptation to look to other things, to enslave ourselves, if you will, again, that, that all the joys, all the freedoms that Christ has called us to and empowers us to do through the Spirit and want to do, if we're not careful, they can become a burden. And you have an entire Old Testament that shows, starting in Deuteronomy 6, when I take you into that promised land, there's going to be a land full of milk and honey. You're going to have cisterns you didn't dig. There's going to be vineyards you didn't plant. He says, be careful that you don't become prideful and wander away. Be, be careful that you don't begin to focus on yourselves. He says, watch for yourself that you not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the same warning is in our hearts. Be careful, watch for yourself that you don't forget that it is by grace, totally by grace that you have been saved. And not of yourselves. Be careful that you don't forget that God is not impressed with, with us. He doesn't need us. He, the reality is that He has saved us. He has set us free by grace. He has as Paul begins in chapter 5, you're going to see an emphasis on the Spirit. He has put a Spirit in us so that we can obey, so that we want to obey. The only, the only way chapter 5 and 6 works is, is through the Spirit. And that's what Barry is going to talk about next week. It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the flesh, very clear. The fruit of the Spirit, very different. And so how do we stand firm in our freedom? And, and the first question I want to answer, and, and kind of it's, it, it piggybacks on what we tried to get to last week, is this, and you see it on your handout. What are the results of having been set free? Last week we looked at what it is and what it is not. It's not a freedom to self. Paul will hit on that later. He says, you are called to freedom, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. It's not a freedom to do what you want. It's not a freedom to live isolated from the other Christians. We'll see that today. It's a freedom to be a part of a body. 
It's the freedom of, of, of the privilege of being called a child of God, of being adopted into the family. What are the results? And that's the question, really, that, that they're dealing with. Is, is So now what? How, how do you live the Christian life once you've begun it? We, we, Paul dealt with that in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of flesh, of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Now what? Okay, you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Now what? And the first thing he says is stand firm in that freedom. Do not waver in Christ alone. Do not waver. Don't go back to think, okay, I'm saved. Now I'll go back to doing things in the flesh. No, we live by the Spirit. And if we're honest, we struggle with this. Just trying to muster up the strength and the energy to, do, to live the Christian life on our own. It was never meant to be that way. It's meant to be a Spirit-driven thing. The Spirit living in us. And, and what people didn't understand in that day, and what people do not understand today, is how will somebody live not bounded by the law? If you take away the law, they're thinking, if you take away the law, it's going to be chaotic. If you, Paul, if you're saying that they're not bound by the law, the Mosaic law any longer, they're going to be chaotic. And Paul says, no, they won't. Not Christians. Why? Because they're bound by something else. It's not an unbounded freedom. The question was, what will constrain someone? What, what will their lifestyle be like? Now that they've been set free, what will their life look like? And so Paul is going to help them understand the privilege of freedom. And you see on your handout there uh, a couple of points. Biblical freedom, the biblical view of freedom versus the world view of freedom. And Paul, Paul deals with this as we jump into chapters 5 and 6. And the reality is, is what we saw last week, that Biblical view of freedom is really slavery to God and His will. You become a slave to God and His will, but, but, but it's a good master. We don't like the word slavery. We have a tremendous black eye in our nation regarding that. Even today, there are more uh, slaves today than there ever has been in the history of the world through sex slavery, through all kinds of slavery. But we've traded in a slavery to sin for a slavery to God and His will. We've traded in a... See, because the worldview of freedom is doing whatever self wants. The worldview is this, I do whatever I want, that's freedom. The biblical view is I do what God wants, and that's freedom. See, the biblical view is freedom begins with a relationship to God. It begins with a relationship to God. How do we relate to God? I am a child of God. The worldview of freedom, it begins relating to self. It's all about self. Figuring out self. I don't need to understand more about Chris Basham. What I know about Chris Basham is sin. You don't want more Chris Basham. You want more of the Holy Spirit living through Chris Basham. You, we, the worldview of freedom, it's, it's all about self. Doing whatever self wants. Well, I just need to figure out self. That, that's not true. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I need a new heart. Biblical view of freedom is allowing God to work through our life. It's allowing God to work through us. The worldview is allowing self to work uninhibited. That's how the world views freedom is just do whatever you want. Being free to do whatever you want. 
And the reality is the biblical is allowing God to work through your life and get glory through your life. The, the biblical view of freedom there is interdependence with others to the glory of God. That's why God has called us into a body. That's why we gather regularly, Hebrews 10. I've not been called to live independently. I've been to, called to live interdependently. I need you and you need me. The, the worldview of freedom is independence from self. I just do whatever I want. Independence. The biblical view is interdependence. And you can see on that short little list, we could go on and on, you can see the difference. And every single one of us, hear this, every single one of us is faced with the choice of whether they will be in bondage to God, which actually is freedom, or bondage to self, which is enslavement. Every single one of us. You go all the way to Joshua. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You're going to be in bondage to self or you're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to be in bondage to God? Because bondage to self leads to death. Bondage to God leads to eternal life. And that's the essence of what Paul is saying here. Don't go back to self. Don't think that you're saved by the Spirit and then you're perfected by the flesh and living for self. And, and in, for, in that case, it was circumcision. It was, it was enslavement to the law. Today, it, could, it looks very different, but it's, there's still a danger for us. John Stott said this, True freedom is the freedom from my silly little self in order to live responsibly in love for God and for others. We, we said it last week, the world thinks they're free. But in reality, they're slaves to sin and they're slaves to death. They're slaves to working to earn, earn God's favor. And Christians, true Christians, who are believers solely in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're free from all that. We're free to just serve God. We're not free. We, we don't have to perform for Him. We don't have to say, God, look at me, look at me. You know, your kids sometimes will do that. Look at me, look at me. No, no. He's already established that we're, we have a relationship. We're free. But it's not an unbounded freedom. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to the Galatians. And I'm trying to get across to us. It's not an unbounded freedom. We have been deposited, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And biblical freedom is a submission. You see it on your hand. It's a submission of our lives to God and His will in three ways. And I, I want to I show us three different ways that this freedom impacts us. And the first one there is individually, as an individual. The ability to conform to God's will and not our own. The ability to, de to defeat the flesh. Verse 16, we'll, we'll, Barry will get to it. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. My flesh will never crucify my flesh. My flesh will never deny my flesh itself over long haul. The Spirit does that. Individually, again, I've been set free to glorify God and not self. To be who God wants me to be. To live for His pleasure. To live for His approval. To be free from what other people think of me as long as my Father is pleased with me. And biblical freedom enables us to be what we were created to be, namely image bearers of God. We bear His image. We were to be representatives. Biblical freedom also allows us to be honest about ourselves. Again, 
the world system, they're not, they're, you're not going to be honest about yourself. You're going to pretend to be something you're not. Why? Because the whole world system is based on what you look like outwardly. The whole world system is based on performance. Christianity allows you to actually be free with yourself to say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a wretched sinner. Paul says in Romans 4, I think about, I mean, Romans 7, about verse 24, he will say, who will free me from this body of death, O wretched man that I am? In Timothy, he says that he calls himself the chief of sinners. You know why he could say that? Today's world, they'd say that is bad self-image. No, no, Paul would say, you know what? That's an accurate self-image. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid for those. He freed me from having to pretend that I'm something that I'm not. He freed me to freely admit and be honest. Look, I'm a sinner, but you know what? I know where there's forgiveness for that sin. We don't have to pretend. Biblical freedom allows us to be honest about ourselves, about our sin and our imperfections, about our, about our need for man's approval, that we, that we gravitate back there. And to see that all of that was dealt with in Christ. And our response is to believe it and to live it out. To continually look to Christ's work as being sufficient for our relationship with God. But not only does it set us free individually, it sets us free socially. Socially. See, I don't, need, I don't have to jockey for position anymore. I don't, have to, I don't have to compete with you for approval. I don't have to compete. It's interesting. We... Uh, it's interesting watching our kids interact. Uh, we, we have a couple of, of foster children in our home, and, and God is revealing things about all of us. We had a little family meeting last night after the, the, the uh, Terrence and Vanessa, after they went to bed, we had a little family meeting. And, and it's interesting, I mean, it's interesting to watch, for instance, my daughter become jealous when I do stuff with Vanessa or with Terrence. When I let them ride on my back or do stuff, my daughter will become jealous. Because time that I would have had with her is now time that I'm spending with this other girl in her eyes. And so we're having a conversation saying, look, you know what? Me spending time with her isn't a knock on you. It's not you. I will always be your father. But see, biblically, biblically, listen, the freedom is to know our place before God and others. She, she's very young. She's immature in her faith. We're growing her. We're discipling her. But see, even as adults, we want to jockey for position. We want, we, want all, we want the best seat, as James 2 talks about. We want to do stuff, and we want everybody to know about it. We, we, want, to, we want to pray, and we want to let you know we're praying. We want to do this, and we want to post over here socially. Why? Because we still deal with what other people think about us. And the gospel, Paul is saying, socially, you're free from all of that. Biblical freedom sets us free to know our place before God and others. You think about this. You think about this. Every other false religion in the world outside of Christianity, which, by the way, every other religion is false outside of Christianity, that's the one thing they don't offer because it's a works mentality. We, we have, we have, I have friends who are of different faiths, and, and I will share the gospel with them, and I will ask them, where do you stand before God? And their answer is this, you can never really know for sure. Why? Because it's a works-based thing. And maybe on my best day, God is pleased with me, but maybe I'm not having a good day. Maybe God's not pleased with me. See, Christianity says this. I, I remember specifically sharing the gospel with a, with a gentleman who was with another religion, and I said, 
here's the thing. The Bible tells me on the front end exactly where I stand. I'm a sinner. I deserve death. Alienated enemy from God. And yet through Christ, he says, I've been adopted. Full inheritance. Fully accepted. I know 24-7 where I stand with God. Now the fellowship, because of sin, may be hindered. But relationally, I am his adopted child. Period. End of discussion. And biblical freedom is freedom for something as much as it is from something. You see that on your handout. I, I can now relate to God as Father. And I can relate to you, to you as brothers and sisters. I don't need to jockey for position. I don't need to one-up you. I, matter of fact, I can pour myself out on your behalf. Why? Because I have an inheritance. I have a Father who loves me. See, socially, it's to God and from self. It's serving God and not self. But, but not only individually and socially, psychologically. Psychologically, I'm free. Biblical freedom, you see on your handout, it empowers us to not be consumed and absorbed with self. Again, I can pour myself out on your behalf and know that that's fine. I don't have to jockey for position. I don't have to get all I can in this world. Why? Because I have inheritance coming. Biblical freedom enables us to empty ourselves on behalf of God and others, knowing that our identity is already dealt with. My future is secure. My inheritance is secure. My rewards are not on this side of eternity. They're on the other side of eternity. So I don't have to live for these things. I can deny pleasures. I can deny self. Why? Because I know I have something greater. And biblical freedom allows us to relate and serve not only to others, but even to relate to ourselves authentically. Why? Because we don't have to jockey for position. I don't have to wonder who's greater. I don't have to fight to prove to you who's greater. The reality is, is through Christ, I can serve each other and I can even die for each other. I don't need to worry about making my own reputation. I don't need to worry about what everyone thinks of me. Why? Because I, I've been declared the son and of God. He, he's my reputation. And, and I dare say that, that many of us, many of us in here may not be grasping, may not be standing firm in that freedom that God has offered us. That, that we have not allowed the, the reality that He has declared you to be His son and His daughter. Declared. Final. Through Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ alone, if you have repented of your sin, if you have, knowledge, have acknowledged Jesus Christ as Messiah, as King, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His, his re second coming when He's coming back for us, if you're looking to that, God says, you are my son, you are my daughter. Done deal. And, and biblical freedom, you see it on your handout, allows us to look in the mirror, admit who we are, embrace the per and embrace the person that we are. Not of ourselves, not to ourselves. Realize, look, I'm not perfect, but I don't have to be perfect. I'm a work in progress. And, 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 and God's relationship to me doesn't, 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 is not up and down based on my perfections. Biblical freedom allows us to say, look, I know I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I repent of that. 
It allows us to say, I surrender. I surrender my ego to Christ. I surrender everything that I would want for my life. If you would have asked me in college, this is not what I would be doing at age 40. But this is what God would have me doing at age 40. And I'm fine with that. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. But, it, but it's my freedom in Christ that allows me to embrace whatever he, just like Daniel saying this morning in the song, do whatever you want to do. Why? Because I'm your slave. And you're a good master. And you love me. And every single thing that comes through your, your hands has been filtered through the fact that you are a loving, good father. That I do not understand it all. I, I, I have a hard time accepting it. But I do know this, the God who allowed it is good. And he loves us. And the cross proves that. And true, listen, true biblical freedom is slavery to Christ. It is laying down your will, surrendering your will. It is John 3.30. He must increase, I must decrease. And, And the only way you do that is knowing, look, we have a reward on the other side. My reward is coming. My inheritance is coming. True biblical freedom, again, is an exchange of masters. And the reason, we, the reason we read chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The, the reason we read these verses and think the way we think, that per- personally, we, we interpret everything based on ourselves. The reason we do that is because we're not grasping the picture, the big picture of what God has done, Jesus has done. That we have been set, we have not been set free just to be free. We've been set free so that we could be adopted by a Heavenly Father that loves us, that we could be brought in to God's family, that we could be grafted in to become His people. That we have been invited in, we have been invited into, into the family of God to make a people who were not a people. Adoption. And as our Father, He is now Lord of everything in our lives. This is exactly what, what Paul speaks of in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. I briefly mentioned it last week. But look, the, just understand the freedom. Underst- if we would really understand what we have in the gospel, if we would really understand the love of God. And that's why in Paul in Ephesians 3, his prayer for the Ephesians, that, again, that they would understand one thing, the love of God. If we would understand how much God loves us, because that's exactly what Paul says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, listen to what he says. For the love of Christ controls us. Uh, another translation there has the word compels us. He says, for having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. You see, that, you see the point? You see Christian freedom? It's saying, no, no, I, I've been grafted in by a king who loves me enough to die for me. And that love has been showered upon me. And that love now compels me to live for him. The same love that compelled him to die for me is the love that compels me to live for him. The, the love of Christ controls us. You see how if we don't understand the gospel, if we don't understand the love of God, if we don't really grasp 
the, our depth of our sin, the debt in which we were forgiven, if we don't understand the love of God, do you see how that impacts how we love others? See, if, if I think I earned my, if I go back to the works and think I earned my salvation, that, that my sin was not that great, you know how I'm going to treat you? You're going to have to earn mine. If I had to earn God's, you know what? You're going to have to earn mine. And that's the way the world works. And yet, if I realize the great love of God, that God demonstrates His love for this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that there was nothing I could do to merit it, that, that the, the debt was way beyond compare, I'll be gracious with you. Why? Because I know God has been gracious with me. And the reason we deal with each other, the reason we deal with each other the way we do is because we don't grasp the gospel fully. We don't really understand the love of God. We gravitate back to a, a, a legalistic or a works righteousness. We gravitate to just what the Galatians did. What began by the Spirit, we think we're going to perfect it in the flesh. And we fail to realize how much God has forgiven us. Therefore, you know what we do? We don't forgive others. We fail to, fail to realize that my relationship with God is totally based on grace. And you know how what we do? We don't deal with grace with others. We think God forgave this tiny little debt of sin over here. So you know how, you know what, how that translates? We don't forgive others. We, we think we, we, we discount God's mercy. And over here, the response to that is, we're not very merciful. And Paul says, no, God, the love, when you would understand, if you would understand the height and the breadth and the width and the depth of God's love, that right there will control these Christians who have been set free. In our freedom, again, you see it on your handout, we live for the one who bought us and set us free. We're restrained and we are guided by the love of Christ. It's not an unbounded freedom. It's doing for others what we've had done for us. See, we're restrained, we're bounded by the love of Christ and a love for others. That love compels us to live for Him in His glory, not our own. It's, it's, it's the same thing Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 about himself, starting in verse 19. He says, listen to this, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win the more. To the Jew I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God. Listen, but under the law of Christ. Again, we're not unbounded. The law of Christ is love. Love God, love others. So that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may be a fellow partaker of it. Again, what motivated Paul to give his life up for others? It was the gospel. It was the love of God. It's Acts 8. Acts 8, Acts 9. It's the Damascus Road. God knew that he, Paul knew that he was a sinner, that he was saved totally by grace. And that motivated him. 
And this again, this is the paradox of the Christian freedom. Though I'm free from all men, what did Paul say? I made myself a slave to all men. Why? That's the love others part. Love God, love others. Paul later on in in chapter 5 verse 14, he says this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The only way you and I, we'll get to this, but the only way you and I love our neighbors ourselves is first having a love for God. It flows out of that. That's why in Matthew 22, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the guy says, well, what's, and he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you can go back to love and all the commandments. And Paul is saying that in verse 14. Listen to me. If you don't, if you don't, if you love your neighbors yourself, you know what you're not going to do? You're not going to kill them. You're not going to commit adultery with their wife. You're not going to lie against them. You're not going to slander them. All those things go away if we simply love one another. And all of that flows first from a love for God. But, but we're bounded, the, the reality of what Paul says in chapter 5 is we're bounded by more than just the, the love of Christ, and, and even this is not of ourselves. And, and again, key point, we, we don't muster up the courage or the self-effort. It flows from the Spirit. And, and numerous times, Paul in chapter 5 begins to talk about the Spirit. It all harkens back to Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but who lives in me? Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And the, the whole point of chapter 5, Paul begins to introduce this concept of the Holy Spirit. But this is not a new concept. The, the Christian life was never, ever meant to be lived on our own. The, 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 you go all the way back to the Old Testament, you see that. They could not obey the law. But in Jeremiah 31, 31, just write these down, write that verse down on your handout. Jeremiah 31, li- listen, to what, listen to what he says. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand and br- to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Listen to what he says. No longer will the law be external. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, and the least of them to the greatest. And I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. What, what, is, what, is, what is the Lord saying? He's saying, look, there's going to come a day where the law is going to be on your heart. There's coming a day where you're not going to be trying to be extra, it's just constrained by externals. I'm going to write the law on your heart. Ezekiel 36, same thing. Listen to what he says in Ezekiel 36, 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. That, that's exactly what Jesus says 
in John chapter 14. He's leaving. The disciples are panicked. He says, look, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That's the Holy Spirit. This is a fulfillment of Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. And he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. He goes on to say, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The word another there in verse 16, it means of the same kind. He's saying, look, I'm leaving you, but I'm going to put my spirit within you, and it's going to be exactly the same as if I was walking with you, only now I will be in you. You'll not be constrained by an outward set of laws. You're going to be strained by me living in you, believer, the spirit. But, but you see how we're not unbounded as believers? Interesting enough, over in Thessalonians, the Holy Spirit, I believe he's talk, talks about when the restrainer leaves, I believe he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the church. What restrains sin from being as bad as it could be today? You and I, the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And when we're gone, there's no more restraining. The Holy Spirit in us control that's why ephesians 5 18 do not do not get drunk with wine for that is dissipation but be filled with the spirit that word means control that's ephesians 4 29 do not grieve the spirit it's first Thessalonians 5 do not quench the spirit that's the restraining that's the power that's the power in our lives how do we tap into that power it's colossians 3 16 it's the word of god richly dwelling in us it's exactly what he said in Psalm 119. Hide the word of God in your heart. Why? That you won't sin against it. Why? Because you're filled with the word of God, fills up the spirit, the spirit controls you. You get, you get verse 22 of chapter 5. You don't get verse 19 that way. You get love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When the spirit is full. We've been sealed with the Spirit, but we have to yield our lives to that same Spirit. That's what Paul is saying here. Keep standing firm. Trust the Spirit of God. And, and the reality is what all of us have to understand, it, it is the Holy Spirit who makes the life of faith work. It's the Holy Spirit. It's Christ in us. I mean, the, the life of faith wouldn't work any better than the life of the law or legalism or any of that if it were not for the Holy Spirit who empowers us. That's why Paul is going to go on to say, look, you know how you're living? You can tell when you're living according to the flesh because this is what you get. You get immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things of which... That's flesh. The only way it works is through the Spirit. And Paul emphasizes the Spirit throughout this chapter. Look down at verse 5 of chapter 5. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us, not, let us also walk by the Spirit. That's the beauty that we have in Christ. Is it is a freedom, but it is not an unbounded freedom. We now can do and, and, and live out the law, namely love God, love others, through the Spirit in us. 
And you see on your handout, we now have the ability to do what that man or woman in the Old Testament did not. Or that man or woman outside of Christ cannot. We are free in Christ under the guidance of the indwelling spirit, not to be bound by laws, but to be bound by the law of Christ, which is love God and love your neighbor. And it's through the spirit in us. You and I as believers have to yield to that spirit. We have to, we have to feed that spirit. It's the same concept we say to our kids. Garbage in, garbage out. You put the whole bunch of the world in you, you know what you're going to get? Flesh. You put a whole bunch of the word of God in you, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get spirit. That's exact, that is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5.18. You fill yourself up with alcohol, what begins to control you? The alcohol. You fill yourself up with the Word of God. You know what begins to control you? The Word of God through the Spirit. It's not an unbounded freedom. It's freedom to have a relationship with God that we that they were ne- that we were never have possible outside of grace. It's freedom to love God. It's to love to love others, not having to muster up the courage to do it, but allowing God to do it through us so that He gets the glory. But, but not only the results of being set free, what is our response? What's our response? And that's why Paul says, keep standing. The challenge for all of us is to get this settled in our hearts. But not only to get it settled, but to keep it in our hearts. To keep standing. Paul would not say, keep standing, if it were not a tendency for us to wander away. For us to wander back into that, that realm of, of works mentality. And the danger facing all of us is the reality that biblical freedom can be lost. Not salvation, biblical freedom. That you can live as a freed person, as a slave to the flesh. And we've got to stand firm in the truth of the gospel and resist the pressure every day to rely upon self-justification rather than the justification that was brought through Jesus Christ. To do everything by the Spirit and not the flesh. The word stand firm here, it's a military word. It means, it means be diligent. Be diligent. It's the same concept in Hebrews 10. Do not forsake the assembling together. Why? Because we encourage one another to do what? To be diligent. To stand firm. To, to trust alone the work that Christ has done for us. To, to rely on that. And though we cannot lose our salvation, we can lose the freedom that that purchased. If you've been saved, you're always saved. Remember that. But how you know somebody is they stand firm. We as believers ought to be standing firm in that salvation. And not go back. And, And looking to anything, looking to law keeping, looking to anything outside of Christ is not freedom. He says that's slavery. And, and other religions that, that add or take away from Christ, they, all they do is enslave because they're looking for works to be good enough, to merit salvation. And, and many of us in here are, are living fear-based, guilt-ridden Christian lives. Why? Because we haven't grasped the love of Christ. We haven't grasped the freedom that comes with, with Christ. We're looking for for things to justify other than God's justification that He offered through Christ. And and that's why, again, 
Christ alone, Christ plus nothing equals salvation. It's Christ's work alone. His work is enough. And our freedoms, our freedoms in Christ have to be retained and they have to be protected and and renewed in the sense of the word of God coming and flowing through our lives. And when we understand this, when we understand true biblical freedom, we will not do as we please, we will do as God pleases. We'll do as God pleases. Why? Because Christ did it all and he's doing it through us. And you'll see, you see on your handout, the, the two ways, the two, if we're honest, we have a tendency to drift in two, two directions. Two directions you see on your handout. In, in ways that we don't stand firm. These are ways that we tend to not stand firm. The first one is a works mentality, and that's legalism. Thinking we earned our salvation. And the other end of that spectrum, and we see in chapter, in verse 13, is abuse of grace mentality, and that's licentiousness. That's, hey, I'm saved, I can do whatever I want to do. And and Paul deals with both of these in this chapter. Doing things to merit God's favor, but then on the other hand, thinking, you know what, I can do whatever I want to do because I'm free, because I'm saved. And, And hear me, simply obeying, simply wanting to obey is not legalism. Being serious about the Word of God and being serious about aligning your life with the Word of God, being serious about wanting to obey the Word of God, that's not legalism. Legalism is doing that thinking it earns your salvation. But we as Christians ought to be serious about aligning our lives with the Word of God. I I hear it regularly. Someone is serious about it, like, well, don't be legalistic. That's not legalism. Aligning your life with the Word of God is not legalism. Doing that to think you've earned your salvation is legalism. But simply being serious about wanting to align our lives with the Master, the Lord, the Messiah, the King who saved us is not legalism. That's called obedience. That's called the Holy Spirit living through us. Being careful about what we watch. That's not legalism. That's called obedience to let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth and don't put anything unwholesome before your eyes. That's not legalism. Watching what you say is not being careful what you say is not legalism. It's it's obedience. Let no unwholesome word, Ephesians 4.29 says. Not wanting to be greedy. That's not legalism. That's, that's obeying Ephesians 5, but immorality, Ephesians 5, 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper with saints. There must be no filthiness, no silly talk, no coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving thanks. That's, that's not, again, being serious about wanting to walk in the manner in which you've been called, being serious about this Word of God being evident in your life is not legalism. It's obedience. And part of why we gather here, again, Hebrews 10, is to help each other in that walk. We need encouragement. So we don't wander away, so we don't drift away. He says, let, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Stand firm is what he's saying without wavering for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Again, it's not an unbounded freedom. It's a freedom to be interdependent on one another. And, and this wondering, this wondering can be so subtle. And listen to me, let me give you an illustration of how subtle, just a, a, a light on the dashboard 
sometimes, you know, you have on, the, on your dashboard, you have these lights that pop up. And I, I can be a conspiracy theorist sometimes, so my opinion is just put a piece of black tape over it. But sometimes those things are serious. Sometimes those are, those, are, those are ways of saying, look, if you don't deal with this, you're going to have big problems. And let me just give you a very subtle, a little subtle way that we wander away from the gospel and the, our identity being in Christ. And let me ask you this question, and this is personal to me. This is one of the things that God is dealing with me on. How do you react, listen to this, how do you react when you are criticized or snubbed by others? Does that devastate you? Does that put you in a funk for, for days or weeks? Or can you brush it off? I, I tend towards the former. And what I'm learning about myself is this. It's, it's sort of a wandering, sort of a wavering. It's an area that, that I'm asking the Lord to mature. Because individually and socially and psychologically, my identity is in the gospel. And, and there's going to be 800 opinions on how things need to be done and this and that and ways I should have done them. I, I'm not the end-all, end-all of genius when it comes to pastoring. And, and I can become a people pleaser and I can, become a, I can gravitate into all these areas that just aren't healthy. And I have a, t- I, I have a tendency in some ways to make a God out of others and their approval of me. And I find my identity in what other people think of me if I'm not careful. And I might have a tendency to gravitate to their approval rather than just trusting in God's approval. You know, not a whole lot of people said anything to me about the sermon. I'm thinking, man, was it good? Did they get it? God says, you know what, Chris, just preach the word. Don't worry about what they're saying. Good or bad. Just preach the word. Gravitate towards self-justification. Maybe legalism. And when I wonder... The Spirit in me convicts me. I repent and I move forward. But, but I need to continue to grow in the reality that my identity and my acceptance is in Jesus Christ alone and His work on the cross. The fact that He lived, died, buried, resurrected, and one day He's coming back for me. My, my, my part is simply to be Spirit-filled and Spirit-led in everything that flows from the Word of God being hidden and, rich and richly dwelling in my heart, Colossians 3.16. That's my job, is to hide this Word in my heart. It's to seek first His kingdom. Christ alone saves. We don't add anything to that. The question for us is, do you believe this? Do, do you see your biblical freedom this way? Do, do you see yourself, do you wake up every day and it's not questions, what do I want to do today? God, what do you want me to do today? Why? Because you're king. This is not my life. This is you living through me. I have been, that's 1 Corinthians 6. I, I have been, do you not know that your life is not your own? You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. Is that how we see our freedom? Is it a freedom to serve others? Or is it freedom to serve self? Is it freedom just to live however we want to live and then we get our insurance policy at the end and we all go to heaven in a little rowboat? Or is it about seri- being serious about God's work here while our days are few? 
Is it about standing true, standing firm in the truth of the gospel, about hiding God's word and, and knowing our king to the best of our ability? Or is it just, hey, you know what? I get to do whatever I want to do and know that I'm forgiven. And, and biblical freedom is the freedom that it's the reality that God has set us free through Christ and in the spirit so that we can love God and love others so that we can. And we do it in the spirit of the spirit that set us free. And biblical freedom is knowing that I stand fully accepted by God through Christ. Nothing I do, nothing I do makes me more or less accepted by God. Please grasp that. The best day I may ever have in my life, the most obedient day I may ever have in my life, I'm still just as accepted as I am on my worst day as a believer. Now, I don't gravitate to the worst day, but I'm still just as accepted. Because it's not based on me. And I pray that we would be a church that would let this flood our lives, that nothing I do makes me more or less accepted by God. But that ought to free you to just live for Christ, to take risks, to do whatever that glorifies Him. Why? Because He has already accepted us. It's the love of Christ. And it's all through Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. It's all through Christ, not of my own doing. I mean, the Christian life is having been invited into the very near presence of God. It is Hebrews, let us approach the throne with boldness. It's being able to cry out, Abba, Father. It's being able to call God our daddy, if you will. Intimacy. And Paul is saying, stand firm in that freedom. Keep standing in that freedom. That, that nothing I do or don't do merits favor with God. It's what Christ did that merits favor with God. And as we, we, we climb into the rest of Galatians 5, I want to I challenge us with, with what we'll see about our freedom in Christ, and it'll show itself in something we can measure ourselves. Just, just ask ourselves, is the Spirit of God living me, or maybe is my flesh dominating my life right now? Is the freedom of Christ reigning in my life, or maybe have I subjected myself to a yoke of slavery? And there's three questions there, three statements, rather, of, of how... Freedom in Christ would show itself, should show itself. It's a person who trusts, loves, and obeys God through Christ and in the Spirit. Ask yourself, do I really seek to obey God? Have I really, have I used my time wisely to get to know God? Have I am I really hiding His Word in, in my heart? Secondly, it's someone who loves and serves others. We, we all have a capacity to love self. That, that has become abundantly clear over the last week when going from two to four kids. You think you have a handle on yourself and just, all right, bring a couple other kids in the mix. You know, our, I, I, I got in the car the other day, just start, cranked it up, started driving. I realized Terrence is three. He can't even put himself in the seat. He's just standing there in the car looking at me. I feel this tapping on my shoulder. I'm like, what? What? Not, Bradley and Sarah can buckle themselves in. I open the door, get in the car, brother. He's just standing there. I mean, I, my, hey, get in the car as quick as you can. Let's get going. Our kids don't have to be good. I don't have to take them to the bathroom. Terrence, I got to go to the bathroom. Yes, you do. Let's go. Let's go. Pause the game. Pause the game. I need to eat. Yes, you do. Let's go. 
You know, but I'm selfish. And I need, I need the Spirit of Christ richly dwelling in me, controlling me, not my flesh. I need the Word of God richly dwelling in me so that when people make demands of me or my time or when I have to give up myself, you know what? They get the Spirit. They don't get the flesh. They get a joyful yielding of self, not a begrudging yielding of self. And so do you. And lastly, it's someone who is growing in holiness and love. Can you say that about yourself, that you're growing in holiness and love? You have the freedom to grow in grace. You have the freedom to know that's John 17, 3, the, the verse that we've sort of just built this church on, that all may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. You have the privilege, you have the freedom to know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. How are you doing with that? And ask yourself, do you experience this freedom over the last days, weeks, months? Is there evidence in your, in your life that you are of your freedom in Christ and how you're stewarding that? Maybe you're trusting in the wrong thing. May, maybe you're relying on the wrong thing. Maybe you've got too much of the world infiltrating your life and not enough of the Word and the flesh is what's taking hold. Whatever it is, I pray that God would reveal that to us.